He said, it's all about me. Didn't he? Yeah. See, Nebuchadnezzar had conquered a lot of different people, a lot of different places, a lot of different religions. And he said, let's bring it all together and remember that I'm your king. And basically what he's saying is, I will be your God. And he set up a big image of himself to say that, don't worship everything else, worship me. And that's what he's doing here. And so we see here, obviously, that when all the music is played, that everybody's supposed to stop what they're doing, and they're supposed to bow to him. But I want you to notice that in all those lists that he was reading, in verse 2 and verse 3 there, it's, reading, it's listing off everybody that's supposed to be there. And it mentions that everybody who's a ruler, everybody who's a governor, everybody who's got any kind of authority is supposed to be there for the king's big day. He's brought them all together. You with me now? He said, this is an important thing. I'm doing a big thing here, and anybody who's anybody needs to be here. And that's why he gives us this big long list. He's talking about, it says here, the, the, the princes and the governors and the captains and the judges and the treasurers and the counselors and the sheriffs and all the rulers of the provinces. And they all come together. And then we notice here, look at verse 8, please. Verse 8. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. Now, the Chaldeans were those that lived in Babylon. That was their, that's what they were referred to as. And they're coming to accuse certain people of the Hebrews, of the Jews, for not bowing down. We understand this. We know this story here. We, many of you have been in your Bibles long enough that you know about the three Hebrew children that are cast into the, the fiery furnace. We know that. Okay, so verse 8 says, the Chaldeans came near and, and accused the Jews. But go with me down to verse 12, please. Verse 12. It says here, there are certain Jews, this is the Chaldeans talking to the king now. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, let me help you here real quick because we're going to look at some different names in, in Daniel here. That was their Babylonian name here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I know it's, it, we say Abednego, but it's actually Abednego. But um, that was their Babylonian names. If you look in Daniel chapter 1 and again in Daniel chapter 2, you'll see some different names for them. And that was their Hebrew name. Daniel was a Hebrew name. And he got the name, was it, was it Belteshazzar, I believe, uh, as his Babylonian name. But in, when he records it here, he records himself as Daniel throughout most of the book. And so let me read verse 12 again. It says, There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. Right? Is that what it says? No, that's not what it says. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Where was Daniel? 
Where was Daniel? Let's pray. Lord, I ask you tonight as we consider this thought and where you are taking it tonight, God, I pray that you would be glorified as we look to your word. And Lord, as we are led by the Spirit of God and challenged tonight from the Word of God that we would respond accordingly. May we be your people, as we preached about this morning, Lord, as you preached, to being reconciled to you. But, Lord, tonight I pray that as we are, that we would respond accordingly, as you want us to respond. Lord, I don't know what your plan is with this, your purpose with this tonight, but, Lord, I know this is what you want. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would meet with us right now. God, may I feel your presence as I'm calling on you and asking for your power and your authority and your presence tonight. God, that whatever your purpose is, whatever your plan is, that you would fulfill it. Thank you, Lord. I look forward to watching what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Where was Daniel? That's my question to you tonight. It's kind of the... The, the hook, the spring here tonight as we dive in. I know our, our series has been what the Bible has to say about this and that. And, and I'll get to that shortly here. But I want to use this uh, as uh, just a little direction for the Lord tonight as, as He was helping me a little bit. In chapter 1, and I, you can flip back there. I'll have you follow just a little bit. Let's think about what we know already. Let's think about the things that we know already. What about Daniel? Okay, We know that Daniel was a young man when he was taken into Babylon. We know that he took a stand. We oftentimes reference Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. Do we not? Uh, how many times has a Sunday school teacher, a junior church uh, teacher, worker, preacher has, has used Daniel chapter 1 verse 8? That Daniel purposed in his heart. He made a decision. He was going to stand for God. Right? Look at the Bible says. But Daniel in verse 8. Chapter 1, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. He says, God doesn't want me to have that stuff. And I'm going I'm to stand, I'm going to purpose that I will not partake in that, and I will not defile myself before, before God. Praise God for that, amen? amen? Praise God for young people and people of age that stand for what they believe to be right. Amen. Daniel took some... Some incredible stands in his day. I mean, I, look, I think about the time when he was praying three times, right? He'd open up his windows and he'd pray towards the east, towards Jerusalem. And I'm thinking back in the law, where does God specifically tell him to do that? But yet he believed that to be right before his God and he did it. And it didn't matter what some king or some president or some governor or anybody had to say. He was going to do what was right. And that was what he purposed. He's purposing here. We know that, of course, God works us out in his favor that even though he's not eating of the meat and he's not drinking of the wine, instead he has pulse uh, and uh, whatever you want to make that to be, just, you know, celery or whatever, <laughs> you know, vegetables, right? Whatever you want to make it to be. Um, it wasn't as good. King's over here eating baby back ribs and Daniel's like, yeah, give me a celery stick. Amen. But God, uh, God took that and God made him to look just like everybody else or even look better, even look better in his, in his countenance, in his, in his uh, 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 just looking full and able to do and have strength to do what he needed to do. And so we look in, in chapter one here 
And look at verse 19, please. No, let's look at verse 17. As for these four children, see verse 17, chapter 1, verse 17. As for these four children, who are the four children? It's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay? If, we, if we're not... Uh, let's, let's go back just to make sure. Let's see what the Bible says. Verse 11. Look at verse 11. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's the four children that we're talking about. That's the Hebrew names for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So then we get to verse 17. As for these four children... God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Skip to verse 19, please. And the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. This is Nebuchadnezzar talking about the four Hebrew children here. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm saying they're Babylonian names because that's what we're familiar with hearing often. So we see that they're together here. They take a stand together. Nebuchadnezzar recognizes them and even promotes them. Look into chapter 2 here. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in, in this dream, he says to the wise men and all the smart guys of the, of the land, which Daniel and the three others were a part of, and he says, uh, I've had a dream, but I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. You're going to tell me, and then you're going to interpret that dream. Isn't that what he says? That's what he says. And all the other guys are going, King, you're... This is crazy. No king on the earth would ever ask this. This just seems uncommon. And he says, it doesn't matter if it's uncommon or not. You're the wise man and you're going to tell me what my dream is or I'm going to kill you. That's what he says. He's good. He literally said, I'm going to cut you up in pieces. And Daniel goes before him and says, would you give us just a little bit more time? Give us some time. And he went home. And uh, let's see if I got that verse here. Look at verse... Uh, 17 of chapter 2. Verse 17, please. Well, we'll start in verse 16. The Bible says, Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. What does that mean? That means Daniel had some friends. The three guys that take a stand in chapter 3 are Daniel's friends. And notice they're at his house when he gets home there. They're his, his companions. They're, they, they're welcome into his house here. And they pray over this thing. And of course God gives Daniel the revelation of the dream and then the interpretation of it. We understand these things. I'm giving a little background to where we're going here. Now... Flip with me here to the end of the chapter. Look at verse 46, please. Chapter 2, verse 46. Some things that we know. We know Daniel took a stand and that the other three took a stand with him in chapter 1. We know in chapter 2, they're buddies, they're friends. They pray together and God gives them 
the, inter- the dream and the interpretation. Now in the end of chapter 2, verse 46, the Bible says, Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face. They told him it all, right? And he falls upon his face and worshiped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him, look at this, ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Sounds like Daniel was kind of important, wasn't he? Yeah, he got promoted, just like Joseph in Pharaoh's day. Daniel got promoted under Nebuchadnezzar here. Look at verse 49. Then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So here we have Daniel gets promoted, and he's pretty much the top dog. He's the chief. He's, uh, he's over all these provinces of, of, of Babylon and over all the wise men. And then he asked for his buddies, his companions, his right-handers, that they would also be promoted and, and, and rule with him. You with me? That's the end of chapter 2. Then we get to chapter 3, and it says, right after Nebuchadnezzar is singing Daniel's praises about the God he serves, it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold immediately, right here in chapter 3. Now, we don't know how much time passed between chapter 2 and chapter 3, but it was in the same time frame that Nebuchadnezzar was king. Okay? Now, what we know, Daniel took a stand. And if Daniel took a stand as a young man, he probably had to take other stands that weren't written. But he took a stand. He had some friends that took a stand with him. And the Bible says in chapter 1, there was four of them. In chapter 2, all four get promoted. And then we get to chapter 3. And it says in verse 2, let me read it again carefully. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes the governors and the captain of the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So once again, I ask you, where was Daniel? They're all there, aren't they? This is Nebuchadnezzar's big day. Listen, I've been an assistant pastor, and I've spent some time as an assistant pastor. And let me tell you, as an assistant pastor, I had a lot of authority, and I had a lot of influence in the church that I was a part of, just like the rest of these fellows, and I appreciate them. They come alongside, and they work real well together, and work with me real well, and we work together. And they have a lot of authority, and they have a lot of influence, and I appreciate them. But as an assistant pastor, we all had, I'd have a suggestion But when a decision was to be made, it was the senior pastor's decision. And when he wanted something, he got it, and we went behind, we backed him. You with me? That means, that means, uh, preacher, maybe we should try it this way. No, this is what I want, and this is what we're doing. Yes, sir, here we go. When it's, when it's the pastor says, this is the way it is, and that's the way it is. Nebuchadnezzar said, everybody's coming. You with me? 
Everybody's coming. That means all the governors, all the rulers, everybody. You're coming. This is a big day. This is a big deal. Amen? It's kind of like missions conference. This is a big deal. Everybody's involved. Right? I don't know. The assistant pastors, if they're thinking one year they're going to ask for vacation during missions conference. Ain't happening. (laughs) Why? Because missions conference is a big deal. It's a big deal. We don't take vacation during missions conference. It's a big deal. It's what God wants of this church as we move forward to reach souls for Him. Amen? Amen? And that's how it is. I challenge tonight, and and I come to you, just to get started with this, this thought here. Where was Daniel at? There was no reason for him to be missing. So then, what do we do? We, we, we create speculations. I start asking questions. Well, maybe he was out of town on a, on a business trip. Maybe he was like a delegate, and he's over here in Egypt or something, and he's getting some horses or camels for Babylon. No, that doesn't happen. Because the king said, Everybody's coming to see my image and everybody's going to bow down. This is my big day and no matter who you are and how you're ruling, you're, be, you're going to be there. So I have to say that no, that can't be the case. He's not out of town. He's not out of town. Again, it would be like assistant pastors being out of town during missions conference. It's just not going to happen. Right? Well, perhaps Daniel didn't have to bow because of his exalted position. Very, very unlikely. You with me? Very unlikely. What's this image all about? It's all about Nebuchadnezzar and his pride. It's all about, hey, I'm the big cheese, recognize. Right? That's what he's saying here. So, then I have to ask the question, perhaps, and I'm saying perhaps, Daniel did bow down. Wait a minute, but I, but I know Daniel a little better than that, don't I? Perhaps he did bow down. Is it possible that he could have? Sure, it's possible. Do we know that he did? No, we don't. Does God write down his name in this chapter that we know of, that, that this, is, this story is about him? No, he doesn't. But we have to speculate and we say, well, it is possible that maybe he was just worshiping the king as the king whom he served. And he wasn't bowing down to an image. He was bowing down to King Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe he drew his line a little different than the other three guys. Does that ever happen? Yeah, it does. You know, there's great, wonderful people in this room right now that draw your lines differently than I draw my lines. Is that, is that okay? If it's before God, it's okay. You with me? In, inside the boundaries of what is, what is sin and obvious sin here, we're talking about right and wrong, that we draw our lines in different places on certain things based off of what God wants us to do in our homes and based off of our past experiences. Yes? Yeah. Some of you can't listen to the same music some of you other can. Why? Because you came out of it and it'll suck you right back in if you draw your line in certain places. You with me? But some of us, and some, some people don't have those kind of experiences and they might draw their lines in different places. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about right here versus right here. Brother Horton's a great guy. I appreciate him. 
And he knows how to take a stand where he needs to take a stand. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, because he's a man and I'm a man, that not every line that I draw is right where he draws every line. I guarantee that. And you know that. My challenge to you tonight is, as we think about this, it is easy for us to speculate and form an opinion where God never told us to form an opinion. Let me say that again. It's easy for us to speculate and form an opinion where God never asked us to form an opinion. God never once does He bring up Daniel in, chapter, in, in, in this story here. And I believe, I might have to reread it, but I don't believe He's even mentioned in the whole chapter. Now, sometimes I scratch my head and I go, Daniel, what are you doing, man? I want to know these things. But God said it's not about him. I want to draw your attention. Well, God's saying I want to draw your attention to the other three. Because that's who it is about. Now, here's what happens. We're real good at assuming things. We're real good at speculating and drawing together assumptions. And I'm going to tell you what, I have, ev- I have pretty good evidence that I could pull an assumption and I could make, I could show you in the evidence of Scripture, kind of how I was just doing, that I think Daniel was there and that I think he bowed down. I'm not telling you that's what I think, but I'm saying I could persuade some people that Daniel bowed down. Because I put this plus this plus this together and I can form an opinion and an assumption and I can persuade a lot of people. You follow me now? It's real easy for us to put some things together and make assumptions. And what do we do? We think something. We, we go through and we scratch our head a little bit and then we think about it and then we're reading a little bit. And then we get out somebody else's book, you know, some man-made book. And I was just talking to somebody else about this today. Be careful. Be careful. There's only one perfect book. I don't care if it's a book that's suggested from, from, uh, from the pulpit here or another whatever it is. Anything outside the Bible can have error. It most likely does. Because it's man-made. There's only one perfect book. So what I'm saying is when you're reading something in some commentary by some Bible scholar and you Google it, huh, it's truth right there. And we're reading it on the internet, and we read this and read that. Listen, the big thing nowadays is podcasts. Well, I heard it on a podcast. It must be right. You know another big one is? Be careful, church. YouTube. Yeah, but I was watching this video on YouTube, and, and man, this is really good. And they explained it this way, and this one comes along and explains it. It must be right. There's a lot of garbage on there that is false. Did you know that? I mean, a tons of different theories that Christians in good churches like these chase after because somebody with a microphone is willing to talk and you're willing to listen. I'm telling you what, there's people in this world today that'll tell you all kinds of things. Like the earth is flat. Where in the world did that come from? All of a sudden, a couple YouTube videos. And boom, it's a big thing in the, in, the, in the world now. 
Yeah, they have conferences and they meet together. Hey, you're an earth flat earther. <laughs> what? Oh yeah, I was because that guy on YouTube and yeah, I know that guy. I subscribed to him. <laughs> I thought Columbus done figured that out long time ago. Amen. But it moving on. Okay. You with me now? We can think things and we can read things and we can listen to things and we can get assuming things that aren't right. Just like Daniel here. I, I know that Jake Kidwell, I could ask him to come up here and preach about Daniel for a minute. Man, that boy, he bowed down and he, he, had, he wasn't perfect. Now, just let's give him a, t- a minute. He wasn't perfect. The guy had a little sin in his life. Let's get over it. Amen. Stand and don't, that, don't bow. And he could get up and preach a whole message about it. Okay, any one of these men in here could do that. Careful. Careful. It is so easy to assume things. And what do we do when we assume? We think it, and we think about it some more, and we think about it some more, and we think about it some more. And then we all of a sudden we start developing evidence to back our theories and to back what we think. You with me? We get evidence that we think is pure truth and gold. And then, man, this is, whew, this has to be true. And as soon as we start saying it has to be true, we start telling people. Don't we? Yeah, we do. Would you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, please? 1 Corinthians 13. Folks, we're just trying to bring, I believe God wants to bring out a point tonight for us to be cautious, especially with one another, but even outside this church. Look what the Bible says here. This is obviously the love chapter. Charity here meaning love. Look at verse 4, please. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. The Bible says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own is not easily provoked. Look at this. Thinketh no evil. You know, it's easy in a marriage to assume some things about the other one and cause big fights, big arguments over assumptions. Yeah, but you always do this, and this is how you are, and this and this and this and this. I haven't said a thing. You with me? Yeah, because we got something in our mind, and we've assumed some things, and all the whole drive home, we're working up this, this, this fantasy fight in our heads. You with me now? You tell me that don't happen. A guy on his lawnmower, he can think up a lot of dumb stuff. Yeah, sitting, in, sitting on 81 for two hours waiting for an accident to be cleared. 
Praise God I wasn't in the accident, but I'm sitting there for two hours waiting for it to be cleared. You can think up a lot of dumb stuff when you're not sleeping. Can't you? Man, when I get home, she's going she's gonna to hear it. I am ready. I am loaded. And we made her out to be the biggest bad guy ever because we assumed some things. What's the Bible say? Love thinketh no evil. Shame on us when we do that. That's not helpful in relationships. Same thing can happen among staff. Guarantee it. Especially when we don't understand something and why this guy got to get off this time and this guy got to do this and that guy got to do that and why was I left out of this or why was I left out of that or this thing or that thing. Assumptions can get us in trouble. We want to clear it up, go to the source. Amen? Well, do you know what she said to me? Have a nice day. Yeah, but do you know how she said it? And what she really meant? Is this not real life or is this not? Come on now. You with me now? Real life here. Yeah. Love thinketh no evil. We get ourselves in trouble because we're letting this mind, this old sinful mind, create a situation and scenario that ought not to be there. What's the Bible saying about our sinful assumptions? Yeah, don't do it. That's what it's saying. Don't do it. Let's go to another passage. How about Psalm 34? Psalm 34. We'll just look at two passages tonight and then we'll, we'll finish up. Psalm 34. Look the Bible says in verse number 13. Psalm 34, 13. It says here, Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Now let's define some of those words. That, that word evil there means displeasure. Okay? Displeasure. The root to that word evil means displeasure, but the root means to spoil by breaking in pieces. You know what that, you know it's talking about there? It's saying, keep thy tongue from tearing down your neighbor. That's what it's saying there. In, in, in my vocabulary there, when I look up, when I'm looking up the definition of this word, keep thy tongue from evil means displeasure and the root means breaking down, tearing, spooling by breaking in pieces. And what happens when we make assumptions and we think on it and we think on it and then we gain our evidence and all that and then we start talking about it. And then there's this going through the church. Because we have evidence, supposedly. You know really what we're doing? I should have brought in my sunglasses. We got, we're, we got, we got these tainted glasses, right? And I'm looking at William over here. Hi, William. Glad you're home from college, buddy. And I got my red glasses on. You know what I'm seeing out of William? That he's red. That guy. Can you believe he'd come in here being red? This guy. 
But that's exactly what we do. Because we build stuff in our minds and we let our sin in our minds take hold and take hold and take hold and it keeps going. And instead of casting down imaginations, 2 Corinthians says, instead of taking something and casting it down, and what do we do? We let it build and we let it build and we let it build and brick upon brick until we got some big fortress, some, some, uh, some uh, uh, a for, fortress, fortified place that's difficult to get rid of because we've let it build for so long. And then next thing you know, we're talking about it. It says here, and thy lips from speaking guile. Guile means deceitfulness or betrayal, craftiness. And then we're talking about people that really we're friends with, but we're giving out assumptions to everybody else and it's hurtful to that person. Because it started up here. Because it started up here. How about one more verse here? Let's go to one more passage. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and we'll finish up. Titus chapter 2. Hebrews, back it up a little bit. Tidies a little book in there. Paul here is teaching Titus to teach other people. And look what he says at the end of chapter 2. Titus 2 here, the very end of of the chapter, verse 15. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. In other words, hey, teach these things. Teach, even though you're a young man and even though others might be older than you, you teach these things. You have authority to teach these things. Let no man despise thee. Then he goes into chapter 3, verse 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Look at verse 2. To speak evil of no man. That word right, those words right there, to speak evil of no man, means to vilify, defame, or rail on. And what happens is, is we let things build in here and then we're just spitting out stuff because it has to be true. It has to be true. And then something else happens, and because we're looking at that from that viewpoint, from that perspective, we're just railing on them. And there have been people through the ages, even in this church, that have been drugged to the slaughterhouse by other people with their mouths because of foolishness up here. Because of lies and sin up here that were never true to begin with. Because instead of us going to the source and finding out the truth, when we think something or hear something, we let it build up here and we create a story in our minds. Well... Pastor John, but I'm speaking truth. Really? Or is it just my tainted version of that truth? Even if it was truth, here it is, church. Even if it was truth, what business do I have speaking your truth? Yes, that's a whole other message in itself. But even if it was truth, what business do I have to speak it? Well, I just want to pray for them. I want to pray for them. Brother Marion, I just want to pray for that person. So give me all the information. You know what we do? We gossip in the name of prayer. You think that don't happen in a fundamental church like this? We gossip in the name of prayer. 
And then what do we do? It turns into a gossip session, tearing down one another. And, and then, of course, one mind taints another mind, and then everybody's against that person because of all this junk. Let's be careful, church. Let's be careful. I stand here before you to tell you I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And I, I, I'm here to, to challenge you. You probably are too. You know why? Because we're sinners. Because we're sinners. Let's be careful of our assumptions. Let's be careful of where assumptions go. We're talking within families, among friends, and among churches, among our church people. Let's be cautious. Let's be cautious. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this challenge tonight. And Lord, uh, thank you for just the story and the, the question and the thought of Daniel. But Lord, for bringing out here what you wanted to bring out. And I pray, God, that you would help us now. Lord, each individual that we would determine to not be full of opinions and assumptions that lead us astray so easily. God, help us, please. This is so often done, Lord, towards leadership in different positions, whether it might be a principal or whether it might be an assistant pastor or whether it might be a deacon or a bus captain or or a Sunday school teacher or, or a director of this or that thing. Lord, it's easy for us to assume certain things, but we really have no idea what all went into that decision. I pray, God, you'd help us, please, to not chase after assumptions, but, Lord, to go to the source. Help us, Lord, when we hear things, to not repeat it, but to seek out truth. Rejoice in truth, not in iniquity. Lord, help us with this, please. Lord, I know I'm guilty. I know so many of us are. I pray that you would convict us, help us, and may we respond accordingly. We ask your blessing upon this invitation, please. I ask the piano to play. Folks are already.